I stacked three pillows, made sure my head was heavy with bills, wine, yesterday's deadline, and I slept hard, tight as cement on my left arm. The needles came at dawn. I dragged it like a salmon from under my body. A part of me is dead. Now I can shake my own hand, meet myself again for the first time. How my fingers feel to one another, strangers for a tingling moment. I am another. Promise, this time will be different. Hello, and welcome to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This week's poem is The Yearner by Rachel Long. And as you can hear, it's an incredibly striking poem for one so short. In fact, it's rare for me to find a poem that is all at once so intimate and yet relatable at the same time. This is a characteristic that repeats itself throughout the work of Rachel Long. The poem itself comes from her debut collection, My Darling from the Lions, and is one of many that grants a similar intimate look at the life of the poet and the experiences that led to the creation of her work. The collection is split into three separate sections, the first being open, the second being a lineage of wigs, the third and final part being dolls. In each part, I was introduced to a new perspective. That perspective is often presented with such honesty and candor that you feel as though you have been present for many of the events by the end of the collection. The first part, open, is a recounting of the relationships, some platonic, some romantic, that Long has experienced throughout her life. These recountings are so vivid, they've earned Long a reputation for her ability to immerse her readers in a poem's subject. Various critics have highlighted this as a true skill Long possesses. Here is an excerpt attesting to that from Poets.org. Through deft and vivid storytelling, Long wastes no time in immersing readers into her world. She consistently invites us into moments so intimate you almost feel like you've stumbled into a room you shouldn't be in. And yet, her sharp wit and wise insight reassures us that we have permission to stick around. The second section, A Lineage of Wigs, is a metaphorical title referring to her mother's hair. Part two examines events and Long's thoughts around her family and her culture. Long's mother is from Sierra Leone, and in this second section she looks at how the culture her mother brought with her to Britain has influenced not only her life, but her life's work as well. Long's poems have an unmistakable realism to them. They reflect some grim and harsh aspects of the life of immigrants and other ethnicities in Britain. But at the same time, they are fantastical and surreal at others, weaving in and out of mythological structures. Long has spoken at length about how her mother's storytelling influenced her own writing. She is quoted in an Alice Hiller interview saying, 
So many of her stories of growing up are holy snippets. The older I get, the more I realize they might actually be some kind of fiction or poetry. If you question something in one of my mother's origin stories, she gets almost confused or contradictory very quickly. The stories become murky, vague, abstract. The third section, Dolls, draws on Long's struggle to build identity as a mixed-race woman in Britain. It is at times an incredible juggling act between what society has demanded of her and what she expects of herself. This tension is explored through the analogy of a Barbie doll, or rather, a set of Barbie dolls. She writes about the way in which she used those toys as a child to construct narratives around race and identity, often with harmful results. Each section is illuminating in its own way for me. Long has a real talent for conjuring empathy in her reader, writing in a language that travels directly to the center of your brain and heart. You come away from scenes described by Long as though you've witnessed them firsthand or in some kind of strange surrogate form, which is exemplified perfectly in The Yearner. We can start with the title. The Yearner in question is the speaker who's struggling with the severe bout of existentialism. There is a familiarity for us as readers in this existential problem. Stress is an emotion we are forced to wrestle with on a daily basis more and more. This stress is presently heightened with global pandemics, looming recessions and ever-creeping inflation. The yearning of the title, to give it an exact quality, is for some kind of reset. And if not a reset, then at least a release. This poem is taken from the first section, Open. As with much of the collection, there are certain hints at myth or myth-making, with it occasionally dipping into folklore-like imagery. For example, in the first half of the poem, as we encounter the yearner, they are setting up a ritual of some sort. I stacked three pillows, made sure my head was heavy with bills, wine, yesterday's deadline, and I slept hard, tight as cement on my left arm. The needles came. At dawn, I dragged it like a salmon from under my body. There are steps that must be completed, things that must be made ready for this yearning to be resolved effectively. Stacking the pillows is like setting a cairn on top of a mountain or making sure an altar is exactly right for a ceremony. These ironclad preparations come in forms that are recognizable to anyone reading them. In that list of bills, wine, yesterday's deadlines, there is a catalogue of the responsibilities we all have to carry in modern life. Wine can be a signifier that the workday is finally at an end. Deadlines seem a constantly shifting goalpost and, sadly, we all have bills that always seem due. In the language that Long uses, there seems to be some kind of attempt for control made. Phrases like made sure make us feel that craving for certainty emanate from the speaker. That need for control is reinforced in the image of the dead arm. The speaker says, I slept covered and tight, as if it was intentional. 
We feel a great sense of vulnerability as we picture a self-protecting ball braced against the events of the day in their sleep. It's also unusual to think of somebody giving themselves a dead arm purposefully. Normally, a dead arm would be an accident and something we had no intention of doing. Here, however, it's one of the primary focuses of our speaker. The value of this entire ritual is reinforced in the final two lines of the first half. The action of dragging something evokes imagery of effort and difficulty. The notion of effort is reinforced again by the line, like a salmon. It brings to mind associations with hunting. We feel that the yearner has been in search of this for quite some time. It has required the patience of fishing, after all, and finally they have caught their prize. Even this simple line has some kind of connection to folklore. The difficulty of hunting and catching salmon is well documented in mythologies, from Irish to Norse, with the fish itself being highly sought after and prized. Whilst the overarching hope of the yearner seems to be for a numbing of sorts, there is an unmistakable element of self-punishment mixed throughout this first section. The speaker compares the weight of their body to cement, the notion of crushing the thing underneath it, their left arm, is quite dark. This is built upon by the borderline sinister line, the needles came. This bespoke ritual of unknown reason is not undertaken lightly. There is a heavy cost. All the elements of this first section combine to create a paradox of sort. An action of pure will, made sure, dragged, dictated by unmoving, draining factors. Heavy, hard, tight, cement. When I read these first few lines, I found myself completely in the headspace of the speaker. Long creates an almost literal weight for the reader to bear as we come to understand the speaker's emotional exhaustion. That steep price, however, is worth paying, as in the second half the strange ritual is complete and we can see the reason behind it. A part of me is dead. Now I can shake my own hand, meet myself again for the first time. How my fingers feel to one another. Strangers, for a tingling moment, I am another. Promise this time will be different. Those first words are striking and reinforce that self-punishment rhetoric that we were introduced to in the first half. There is a self-mutilation that has taken place, something removed. We'd be forgiven for seeing this as some kind of tragic event, a grim, somber moment. Long, however, knows exactly how to make sure the reader continues perseveres in a sense by using enjambment. Enjambment is a poetic technique where the meaning of a line runs over into the next. As Edward Hirsch wrote, enjambment creates a dialectical motion of hesitation and flow. Delineation bids the reader to pause at the end of each line, even as the syntax pulls the reader forward. This creates a sensation of hovering expectation. By finishing the line with now, 
long guarantees the reader will continue, borne by a sense of curiosity. With the use of enjambment here, we finally understand what the speaker hoped to achieve in their ritual. I can shake my own hand, meet myself again for the first time. When I read these lines, I was immediately struck by their similarity to the philosophical concept of tabula rasa. An old philosophical tradition that the human mind, when it is born, is a blank slate. Long's lines here are most relevant to John Locke's interpretation, which stated, Let us suppose the mind to be void of all characters, without any ideas. How comes it to be furnished? Whence comes it by that vast store which the busy and boundless fancy of man has painted on it, with an almost endless variety? When has it all the materials of reason and knowledge? To this I answer, in one word, from experience. To me, the yearner of the poem is seeking that blank slate state and makes it clear in the previous lines. If experience is the key, does our speaker want to get rid of all theirs? When looking at the collection as a whole, my darling from the lines is a clear culmination of Long's experiences not all of them positive. Long herself has been very clear on the presence of shame and guilt within the collection. Here she is discussing it with Dr. Kim Moore. Well, I think, hmm, I think the book deals with a lot of shame uh, and or um, I haven't got enough shame for writing half of the things that I have in this book or <laughs> I've got too much shame and I need it for, for it to go. I would just say like write the poems that you want to and need to write and don't worry about how they're going to be received because if you worry about that before you've written it then they won't get written mm. and once they're in a book you can hide it from the people that you're most ashamed of reading it. <laughs> <laughs> that want of an escape from shame and guilt is given further weight by the subsequent lines. How my fingers feel to one another. Strangers, for a tingling moment, I am another. The lines turn from observation to a statement, I am another. Enjambment is used once again to swiftly move from one meaning to the next, a true poetic translation of for one tingling moment. The yearning then and thus the purpose of the ritual is finally defined. The speaker craves not being themselves at that moment. The final line, for me, is heartbreaking. Promise, this time will be different. There is no enjambment in this one. The line stands alone. When I read it, a wave of regret washed from it. Abruptly, the poem has shifted from the speaker delivering a kind of soliloquy to a short, sharp, almost desperate dialogue with themselves. That single question mark leaps from the page and plants a litany of other questions in my mind. Has the speaker been so disappointed before? How many times has this promise been made? And is there any hope of it actually being different this time? 
That single question mark completely undermines the final sentence. I promise this time it will be different. The speaker's yearning in the poem is for something that isn't their own experience. This yearner will give anything for another chance. There, blank slate. Long's entire debut collection is filled with these kinds of intimate poems that seem to seep into your skin as you read them. Sometimes they left me feeling as though I knew the speaker as an old friend, and other times it felt as though I had been witness to things that I shouldn't have been. The Yearner is an unflinching account of that feeling of overwhelm that seems to exist in every corner of modern life. It is a testament to Long's writing that any reader can instantly recognize it. It is a poem that translates the weight of that overwhelm directly into the reader's body, to the point that we feel it's necessary to lie down with the speaker and attempt the ritual ourselves. What did you think of the poem? I'd like to point out, as always, that this is my interpretation, and as such, very much up for debate. If you'd like to talk to me about it, or suggest other poems that you'd like to hear on the podcast, you can get in touch with me in a few different places. You can find me on Twitter, at Words That Burn. You can find me on Instagram, at Words That Burn Podcast. You can get in touch with me through my website, www.wordsthatburn.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, or know someone who might, please consider sharing it with them directly or leaving me a review wherever you listen. This week's episode was written by me, Benjamin Colopy, and the music in this week's episode is used under Creative Commons license. You can find links to his work and all of the websites and social media sites I mentioned above down below in the description. Join me in two weeks' time where I'll be taking a look at the poetry of Frank O'Hara. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.